when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What a question. If you can ask a question, that's, that's a question, a real challenge. Now, these readings are about how our faith is tested by the presence of evil in the world. It may be a national problem, like Amalek's attack on Israel in the desert, or it can be a per personal problem, like the one of this widow who went to the judge over and over again. It may be a personal challenge I'm struggling with right now, or maybe the scandals in the church, or the political battles and social problems we see in the news all the time. All these things may pile up and reach a breaking point when I feel, you know, it's useless to keep fighting. And Jesus knows that we can get discouraged because of evil. That, that, that's the perception many times, you know, that uh, it seems that evil gets the upper hand. And that's why he says, in the, basically, in this parable, he's saying, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep praying. Don't become weary. Your prayers will be listened and are being listened. But then the next question we may pose is, then why does God allow evil? Why does he allow evil to linger for so long and ca cause all this destruction and discouragement? Why doesn't he stop it right away? Because he could do it. Then why doesn't he do it? Let me, let me try seek a response in this line here. You know, the, the great drama of salvation is that human hearts, our hearts, need to be turned from a state of rebelliousness and, and pride to a state of faith and, and selflessness and love. And that is never, never done from one day to the next. You never say, okay, today I can live in the image of Christ. All, all my past is left behind. No, there are victories and there are setbacks. That battle is fought every single day inside each one of, your, of our hearts. And here's the thing. God has decided to use the consequences of our bad behaviors as part of the cure for that spiritual disease. God has decided to use the, the, bad, the consequences of our bad behaviors as part of the cure. You know, those difficulties that we endure, mostly out of our own sins or the result of the sins of other people, are meant to detach us from evil, to make us realize how really evil evil is, and also to make us resilient in the path of goodness. Go experiencing those things is meant to be therapeutic in a way. Think of it by way of contrast. You know, um, think of what happens when, when you shelter someone. It may be well intended, but you know, it's not necessarily the most loving thing to do all the time. Because when we shelter, say, our children or students, we don't really prepare them for the real world. It doesn't challenge them to grow many times. You know? When you want someone to grow in experience and to know how to deal with conflict and how to encourage other people, well, sheltering that person excessively is not going to be uh, the loving thing to do. It's, it's a balance of guiding, protecting, but also sending forth 
and allow the person to go through their challenges. But then don't think only, but I think that's the first reason why God allows, you know, in a certain extent for evil to be out there and doesn't crush it right away. He has a role in the formation of character for each one of us. But then there's also another part of his wisdom, that I think, and that's that not reacting impatiently to evil is the best way of uprooting evil from our hearts. Not reacting impatiently is the best way, is the most effective way in the long run. And let me explain through a historical example. St. John Henry Newman was canonized last week as a, this remarkable sermon on St. Philip Neri and his time, which is a sort of historical parable on, on how God deals with evil. And the sermon is a, is a contrast between St. Philip Neri and Savonarola, what a famous contemporary of, of Philip. They both lived in the Italian Renaissance, which was a time of profound social changes, uh, great discoveries and inventions, but also a time of great crisis at many levels of social unrest, uh, plague, wars. It was a very messy, messy time. And most troubling of all was that a lot of the leadership of the day seemed to be largely unconcerned. They preferred just to look the other way and keep partying keep buying stuff and living in luxury without caring. And it's in such context that Savonarola began his ministry as a priest. He was what we would call a fire and brimstone preacher who, who sternly called people in Florence to repentance, conversion, uh, to, to leave all these you know, vain things aside. And he became famous for uh, the bonfire of the vanities. He would actually encourage his listeners as a sign of conversion to come and bring your you know, valuable stuff and just burn it on these huge pyres. You know, you know, costly paintings and, and you know, elegant dresses and furniture. This kind of extreme preaching initially yielded some good results. People started to really take Christianity more seriously and, and think about things. But Savonarola being the kind of person that awakens, you know, loyal friends and also fierce enemies, eventually uh, was put to death by his adversaries in the city of Florence. And a decade later, things were basically back to how they were before his rising. So not, not, not much really changed. By way of contrast, St. Philip, who also grew up in Florence, by the way, but then came to Rome as a priest, uh, was known for kind of the opposite qualities, for his friendliness and his joy. As faith was concerned, he was no less radical than Savonarola. He was very, very intense and radical. But Philip based, based his ministry on the attraction on the, of the good rather than on rebuking evil. Based his ministry on the power of attraction of the good. And against what some people would have predicted, he, was, he began to be very successful, to really have an influence in the city. You know, people of all social backgrounds would come to him. Nobility, scholars, peasants, craftsmen, you know, uh, merchants, students, young people, old people, the poor, the rich. Philip didn't emphasize with them that, you know, the vanities of this world were not worth seeking. 
Rather, he opened their eyes to the reality of God. He showed them there's a, there's a wealth that is much more important than the wealth of this world. You were created for a joy that this world cannot give. And so people's hearts began to burn and desire what Philip was talking about. And he, many times he used very creative things, even humor, to, uh, to uh, get his point across. For example, there came the story of this young nobleman who came with this question. In, those, in that time, people began to use those roughs or those, those kind of weird, you know, wheel-shaped, pleated necks came into fashion. And they were very, you know, into, well, in, in fashion at the time. And one of these noble people came to him asking, Father Philip, is it okay to wear one of these? Or is it too pompous or too, you know, uh, uh, too much of a luxury? And Philip says, Chuck shrugged his shoulders and said basically, I think it's okay. And he added, as long as you don't poke anyone's face with it. Yeah. That was Philip Neri. You know, he always had this creative, uh, even humorous ways of confronting the evils of his time, you know, pride and vanity and greed, envy, stress. And remarkably, he achieved more lasting results than Savonarola. Savonarola was like a hurricane that passed through Italy, you know, tossing things here and there, and that basically left a lot of chaos, but things came back to how they were before. Philip, instead, this holy man represented I think the silent and hidden action of God that transforms things from the inside out, so to say. Quietly, you know, drawing people to what is good rather than, you know, more, more through joy and dedication and love than through scolding. Well, that's the strategy of God with evil, that patient, joyful light that burns in the midst of trouble. And I think that's also going to be more effective in our own lives. But, you know, we might still feel, well, Lord, but it's still difficult. You know, in, in the midst of wanting to give that example to others, I still have to be strong. Yes, it's true. We need to be resilient. So how do we do that? How do we become more Christ-like in that? How, do we, how can we be more like Philip and grow in the, the path of resilience? Let me suggest a few things. The first key is community. I think to, in this day and age, if we're not stronger, if we feel so weak, if we struggle so much, it's because we want to do it on our own. We have become a very individualistic culture. We need community to be resilient. You know, people from ages past were not simply, you know, much, much stronger, but I think they counted on one another more. Take, for example, this first reading. Moses is trying to pray. God told him, pray for the people. But then, how does he do it? He, he, doesn't, he feels he doesn't have the strength. So these two friends, these two priests, Aaron and Hur, hold up his arms in prayer. We need one another. We need a community. Of, we need to strengthen those bonds of community and friendship in faith. So how can you do that? Think of ways, concrete ways in which you can, you know, Strengthen the bonds of friendship, of community around you. If you want to be resilient, that's, that's something we need to do. So that's the first venue, if you want, a first path. The second way is to adopt the, the Philip Neri, the St. Philip Neri strategy, if you want. is Confront evil 
by drawing people to good things rather than by upbraiding them. Confront evil not so much by, you know, if you want, angry letters or comments online, but by you know, drawing people to what is good. We can go on lamenting there's a lot of darkness, but I think it's better to, to enkindle lights, to let your light shine, as Jesus says. Let your light shine before others. Obviously, it's a fact of human nature that we need to be accountable to other people. Sanctions are necessary, so I'm not saying that we should have you know, a society without any laws or sanctions. We need those things, and we need laws to be enforced. But also, we need the powerful, uh, the moving, I would say, the, the, the power of moving examples, of inspiring lives. Without those things, you know, the laws and sanctions and punishments cannot, can, can go so far, will not be as effective. So how can you incorporate, incorporate that, the Philip Neary strategy in your own field of life, in your job maybe, in your family, in your social circle, to draw others towards the good by attraction rather than by abrading others? And the third strategy to grow in resilience is to draw inspiration from the past. Look at the great examples of the past, the great saints. Now, just by looking at the story of Philip Neri. I think we, we just, we are inspired to fight, to be strong, not to give up the way, and do things in the way great saints did. You know, when you read the lives of the saints, you quickly come to realize two things. The first one is, there wasn't a time in history that was easy. You know, that's kind of a prejudice at times. There wasn't a time that had no, tr no challenges. And then the second one is that those great saints, no matter how dark their times were, they, made a, they created a change. They made an impact. They had an impact, I mean. Even when it, did, it made, didn't seem that at the time, many people at the time would have said, well, what is St. Francis going to do? What is Catherine of Siena going to do? What is Mother Teresa going to do in this huge slum? They had an impact. And so will you if you resolve to follow their path. So the Lord will say to us today, you know, don't grow discouraged in your faith. Even when it seems that evil gets the upper hand, the, the Lord will see that justice is done for you speedily. And he will never allow you to be tested beyond your strength. He will use these challenges you're facing to make you grow in resilience, and in goodness of heart.